My name is Sean Thomas, and I'm the author of Be More Today, a 40-day guide to a better version of you. As doctor of physical therapy, I've seen thousands of people do great things. They came to me with ailments, physical ailments, pain, issues, and they got through them, all because they decided in their mind they were going to do it. So I wrote a book about it. Your thoughts can make you great, or they can make you crumble. Those thoughts actually control everything in your life. I have three things I want you to do. Starts. Things I want you to start doing in your life that you said you wanted to do at some point in time. You said them. Stops. Things I want you to stop doing in your life, which I know you also want to stop. And three goals for your lives. And I take you through a 40-day guide to make sure you take those thoughts for those three things into reality. Now, I put some workouts in there too. Workouts to keep you always on the move because you got to keep moving. you got to stay focused. So, 40 days. Thoughts, workouts, you. And all I want you to do is trust the process and just be persistent. Visit BeMoreTodayBook.com. That's right, BeMoreTodayBook.com. And I guarantee you, if you just trust the process and be persistent, you too can be the best version of you. What's going on, folks? Your boy again, Dr. Sean Thomas, back in the building. Be more today's show, episode 90. We have hit the 90th episode of the Be More Today show. And folks, I got to just say thank you for your love, your support. You have made this journey for me exciting, invigorating, and so special. We're here in the month of March. March babies stand up. You already know. And I'm happy to be here with um, our two-time guest, Dr. Hannah Awai. Now, as you may have listened last week, she gave some tidbits about uh, pediatric health and the help that she's doing in terms of arm theory fitness. But for Women's International Month, I want to bring her back on to talk more about health awareness and health topics related solely to women. Uh, as I've gone through the Be More Today show for season number three, I've seen that the three years we've done this, a lot of our listeners are women. And I appreciate you so much. And I appreciate your love and support. And I want to make sure that we gave um, adequate information and adequate time for this month, since it is Women's International Month, for you uh, to really focus on some of the issues and topics and things that women face on a regular basis. So for the entire month, we'll continue to have on female guests who will be sharing their thoughts, their experiences, their tutelage, uh, and their knowledge base with our listeners to make sure that we can all be more today. As you guys already know, Be More Today show is heard everywhere. 56 countries. Uh, we're on YouTube. We're on your favorite podcast platform. So please subscribe, subscribe, subscribe as always, and continue to be a part of the Be More Today family. I appreciate you so much. The quote for today, before I introduce our guest again, is from RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And she said, real change, enduring change happens one step at a time. And again, the guest I have on today's show is no stranger to the show. She rocked out episode 89 last week. She's back for episode 90 today. It's my good friend uh, and fellow dance partner for life. We got to just say that. From Brown University, Bruno, you know. You know. Dr. Hannah Awai. Dr. Hannah Awai, again, for those who missed last week, she's a medical director at a federally funded program that serves chronically ill children from low-income families in California. Uh, she does so many things for her community in California, but also is an Orange Theory fitness instructor and does a number of things in terms of instructing people um, on their vacations, on her vacations, everywhere on a weekly basis, trying to connect the, the health and wellness aspects for her clients in the hospital setting and outside. She is a pillar of strength in the California region. And I'm just so happy to have her on the show again, ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, please, please welcome to the stage my friend and Brown University alumni, Dr. Hannah Awai. Welcome back, Doc. What's going on? Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me yet again. This is truly an honor. And I'm really excited about this new topic. As you mentioned, it's very interesting and special to hear that so many of your guests are women. And perhaps even for the male listeners to hear from a woman's perspective so that if any of those men are related to a woman or come in contact with a woman, hopefully we'll be able to provide some insight 
about celebrating Women's History Month and maybe some topics on women's health. So, so honored and excited to be here. I'm looking forward to a great podcast with you. I appreciate you waking up to join me. I know we're three hours difference in terms of time, but it's early. I know you're doing everything. I appreciate you so much. And yeah, you know, I I recognize, you know, as as a man and, and as a married and I have a daughter, there are a lot of things that I'm just more privy to now than I was before. You know, I'm I'm one of five boys. So I grew up in a household with all boys and my mom. So when it came to a lot of female issues, you know, we didn't really talk about a lot of those things. We talked about other things related to females, clearly. And, you know, as I've gone through school, you learn things and you interact with people and you date, whatever else you learn, things, et cetera. But there are so many things that we as men don't really uh, either recognize or even are, are aware of when it comes to female health, female issues, uh, female challenges on a regular basis. Um, when it comes to the health, uh, mental health, spiritual health, emotional health, all those different things. So I want to bring you on a show just to talk about your experience as a woman, but also as a practitioner dealing with women, uh, children, and grown adults who are dealing with regular everyday issues. And I guess the first question I have for you is, you know, just in terms of your experience, I know that your background mostly has been with pediatric patients, um, but you've spanned the, the, the gamut when it comes to your ability to interact with patients and do your, your entire medical career. What's one of the most challenging physical um, issue that you see that women face when it comes to um, their physical uh, issues or challenges on a regular basis? Uh Mm, Most challenging. In my opinion, I think one of the most challenging things is to be able to, uh, whatever the word may be, either incorporate or balance all of the different aspects of health at the same time. Because I do think that physical health absolutely matters. And I think that there's probably 10 aspects of health that I can think of that are really important to pay attention to and feed and nurture. So I think that the biggest challenge is holding in balance or holding space for the multitude of number of aspects of health. And I would say there's about 10 of them that is helpful to try to balance at the same time. What are the 10 you're talking about exactly? Let's, let's get into that conversation right now. You're saying there are 10 aspects. Now, me as a guy, I'm thinking, you know, there may be like a couple that we may talk about as men, but as women, it seems like it's, it's multifaceted. So you, you mentioned 10. What 10 topics are you talking about exactly? So these are the ones that I could think of. I'd be curious if your listeners feel like any are missing, um, but ones I can think of. So physical health comes to mind first. And for myself as a clinician, no physical health, your body. Another one I think is separate is emotional health. How are you doing with your emotions, your reactions to your environment? Another one being sexual health, a different aspect of life that does affect all ages in different ways as that aspect grows and develops. Another one I would say is mental health. And I would, I would combine intellectual in there. You know, a lot of times when we think about mental health, we think about um, anxiety and depression, for example. But I think another aspect of mental health it includes intellectual. Are you being intellectually stimulated? Are you learning? Is there that balance in your life? Uh, fifth one being financial. You know, we can be financially healthy or unhealthy, either in day-to-day actions or in the big picture. Uh, sixth one, I would say spiritual health, that ho- however one may define it, um, whatever religious, spiritual universe beliefs one has, I think that's another important area of life. Another one is behavioral health. And by that, I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, this is what I'm thinking. This is where my spirit is. This is where my finance is. But what are you actually doing? How are you presenting yourself in the world? Who is the person that you are being each day. So in terms of behavior and actions. Another one is social health, how you're interacting with with the world. Uh, Another one is environmental health, whether that is, are you a pro save the earth kind of person, or even your immediate environment? Is your office space healthy? Is your home healthy? The place you live, that car that you drive in, is the train a healthy environment for you? And the last one I would say is purposeful health. 
somewhat all-encompassing, but how, how you approach the earth, how you feel you are doing in delivering and living by your purpose in that moment and at that time. So those are the 10 that I've got for you. Those are 10 very powerful ones. Um, you know, just looking at the gambit, it, it sounds like a very holistic approach to investigating how we can stay healthy on a regular basis. And, you know, I think most of us think about some of those, maybe three, four, but to think about it in terms of 10, I mean, that, that's a big picture, holistic uh, lens at looking at how we can be better as not just women, but as people. Um, my question for you now is, you know, you named up these 10 different uh, um, segments, these 10 different categories. What do you think is the most challenging for women in today's society when it comes to of those 10 categories, which of them are the most challenging to maintain and to foster growth in? Mm -hmm. Today's society, I think I would say emotional, emotional, intellectual being one of them. I, I would, I would dare to say financial as a, as a, you know, as a broad um, guess for many women. And uh, the third one I would say is behavioral for the most challenging. So of those three that are the most challenging, I guess my next question for you would be, you know, in your clinical experience, what is something that people can do to strengthen those things? I mean, I know you do a lot of policy work in California with the hospitals. I know you do a lot of working in terms of how medical centers are run um, and the resources that women and all patients have when it comes to access to various forms of healthcare. When it comes to the things you just mentioned right now, you know, what are some things or some ideas you think you could share with us for people who are struggling with trying to foster and grow in those certain categories? I think one of the things which is underlying the topic that we're talking about right now or the idea we're talking about right now is just identifying and acknowledging, you know, that these are things and these are needs and these are aspects of life. So that acknowledgement of these areas that are separate from each other, um, I think that is the first step. And I think either checking in with oneself or being perhaps vulnerable, but also willing to talk about it so that you can, each woman can get their own sense of where am I with regard to these different areas? You know, that assessment, if we think about them existing on a wheel, perhaps, I think a lot of us, and especially those of us that are carrying a lot of responsibilities, want to do really well in a lot of different areas of life, the ones that either, the ones that are going pretty well, we tend to continue to focus on those because it fuels your spirit to keep doing a great job at what you're doing well at. But if some of those other areas, when you think about the wheel, are not as fulfilled or not, um, not uh, existing at a level that really supports your being in the moment, then it's like that wheel has a dent in it. So each time you go around and come across, you know, that financial thing, it's kind of a bump in the road and you can keep going, but hit that bump again, hit that bump again. So I think that assessment first to say, where am I at with regard to these things? Because I think that will then guide what the next steps may need to be. Um, and, and as an example, even personally, you know, financial is one that I am personally thinking about. You know, I, I feel blessed and grateful to have a roof over my head. I can get myself groceries, all of these things. I'm also starting to think about what's coming later. What's my financial health going to look like in 20 years or so? Certain things that I did not learn growing up because the family situation I grew up in was different. So I want to be able to do how am I going to do that? I find out if there is some things that am I looking for? And I found series. There's women in finance. Does it mean that money for women is different than money for men? Well, money is money, but there are certain things in society that we know women's income often is less than men's in the same job. Or perhaps women are the ones that are out there doing more of the shopping than men. So needing an awareness of where can I get the items I need? Where are the, the reasonable prices at the stores? You know, just growing in the areas that you've already identified may be lacking in a sense. 
and using uh, local resources that help meet you where you're at and will help take you to the next level. Because, you know, you asked about in terms of my clinical experience, a lot of times once we identify where the problem is, then there's kind of that stuck feeling. Oh, I've identified the problem, but what is the solution going to be? So depending on which area you're talking about, many community resources, faith-based resources, educational resources to fill that gap so you can start taking action in those areas that are lacking. I think those would be the steps, really, the identification, the assessment, seeking some education about filling the gap, and then taking that action. Yeah. Do you find there are adequate resources? Um, I guess you can talk about California, per se, but are there adequate resources for these things? When you say we, we assess this, the, the problems and we have now a plan of saying where we can find these educational things, when people actually try to seek out those services or seek out that education, are there resources that are already in place for people to have access to these things? Do you feel the resources are still um, not being allocated towards these things in particular? Mm. Really great question. I would so friendly us have Googled something at some point in time. You know, you can Google anything. You can find lists of resources related to almost any topic. So that's the yes part in that, um, at least in the United States and actually in many countries worldwide. I know you have international listeners. There are so many things, so many groups, so many companies, so many organizations that do exist. So, so yes, we live in an abundant place. And at the same time, you know, one of the things I mentioned is we're wanting to find resources that will meet us where we're at. So uh, language barrier is one obvious one. You know, you know, we are speaking English, so your audience is going to be English speakers, but somebody made a new resource. Maybe they're helping the grandmother in their family, and she only speaks a certain language native to wherever she came from. Are there resources available in that language? That part may be a bit more difficult. Or it's one thing to say, um, uh, let's see, for... Uh, if, if the behavior, you know, how I act and how I present myself in the world, that's something that I want to improve. That's an area that I want to grow in. I want to be able to be more effective. I want to be able to be stronger, uh, be more efficient. Yes, generally speaking, there are resources about those things, but for a woman, for a Black woman, for a Black woman living in a city, for a Black woman living in a city who wants to get to a lot of places, but the public transportation may not be so great. You know, once we start to get a bit specific to certain populations, that's where I do feel like finding the resources can be difficult, either because they don't exist. You know, someone hasn't yet thought of that particular population of person to provide the resources or the resources are so busy being resources that it's hard for them to let the world know, hey, we're here. You know, because they're trying to serve the people that, that really have the need in that area. They may not have had time to build a Googleable web page for you to find them. Um, so, so yes and no. You know, I think there's a lot of abundance on earth and sometimes tailoring to certain needs, to certain perspectives, um, the availability or being able to find those types of resources could be a challenge. So I think it's both. Yeah, and no, I agree with that. I, I think that um, we should give a little more grace because I know there are things out there for sure. But like you said, sometimes resources are just busy being resources and it's hard to even, like you said, trying to find the webpage or whatever else that you can get access to those kind of things. Those things are out there. Um, I do appreciate that you're sharing knowledge, especially in the California region and continuing to inspire those who you know are, are members of your, of your facility. I am curious though, just in your personal perspective, um, you know, we just came out of Black History Month last month, and now we're in Women's Month for this month. And you're two of those things, right? You're an African-American woman um, who is in a profession that doesn't have many people who look like us. Um, I've had a number of MDs on the, on the show talk about how they also feel, especially my Black ortho doctors, that, you know, they are in a group all by themselves because there are not many of them. And there's been so many stories of people who have applied to different schools based on different ethnicities and either were not allowed in 
um, based on racial tendencies or what have you for years on end. Um, and I just finished 1619 recently. That book threw me off the wall. But just looking at the history of us as people of color and the educational system that we've gone through and all the things that we've done to get here, it's fantastic. But even in that progress, there are still so many sets of minorities that are in the healthcare field. And even in that, there's so many small pockets of people who look like us who've uh, been able to go to the higher heights of the medical profession. How do you feel um, as an African-American female, uh, as we talk about Women's History Month, right? Um, in this profession where there are so many things still happening from the Me Too movement to even the war that's happening in Ukraine, where literally there are women and children who are traveling uh, uh, without their families just to shelter because they know that, 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 their, that their safety and that their health is in jeopardy. Um, and, and now you're here in, in your position being able to service so many people, but also seeing that there's so much work still to be done. What are your just guttural feelings um, at this time in your profession and in your career as you've seen so many changes happening uh, before and hopefully so many things happening in the future? Uh-huh. I feel the full spectrum of emotion and responses at any given time. And perhaps, you know, this is why one of the first things that come to mind when I think about health is all 10 areas of health, because in any given moment, you know, I can be assigned to or focused on doing a particular task that has to do with the chronic disease of the particular child that's in the program that I'm running, you know, right here. But as you mentioned, with all of those things going on, I feel a lot of times uh, gratitude to be able to be here, to be able to use the knowledge I have to serve this community, to have the resources to, to do my job and to fulfill my career mission. And I also feel sad and perhaps even terrified or maybe even disconnected. You know, maybe I am not in the same situation as the person that I'm serving, but I can relate to that in some way. So there is that, um, that struggle and that hurt for a lot of the people that I serve in my program are also people of color, women of color, female children of color. And so that feeling of heaviness, you know, I, I, I know what it's like to feel that way or to be in certain parts of that situation. So it hurts. It's painful. Um, it also feels empowering to be able to attempt to take some steps to create change for anybody, but especially for people who are identified as being especially vulnerable. It feels very empowering. And I also feel like I'm hitting my head against the wall. <laughs> Sometimes, because certain aspects of the system, you know, understand the system very well, but maybe not the nuances of that particular person. Or certain aspects of the system are still run by men. And we're talking about things that are very specific to women and children, <laughs> you know, making a blanket statement or making a blanket policy for an entire group of people is not going to work for certain people because of their socioeconomic situations, whatever it may be. So that feeling um, strained, feeling like I'm hitting my head against the wall, feeling frustrated, you know, feeling scared, feeling sad, all of those things at the same time, it's feeling empowered and grateful, all occur at once. And at the same time, with these social things happening, something may be a trigger for me or something may be a trigger for my coworker. Very interesting perspective. One of the um, women who works in public health is not from the United States. So she grew up in a country and during her childhood, war was happening in the country that she grew up in. She's been in the United States for a long time, has established herself, has established her career. It has, has adjusted you know, to life in the United States. You, I don't think you'd be able to tell from looking at her that she grew up and was in the midst of a war-torn country at the the time of her childhood, but that, that is her reality. She has shared certain elements of that history. So now with this going on, it, she, even though she's not a part of it, it's starting to trigger some really difficult memories. 
And she is expected to perform and answer questions and be very appropriate and, and skilled and knowledgeable and deliver information and analyze problems in the midst of this trauma that is happening in the world and the triggers that it causes for herself. Very skilled and very talented at doing this, but that's an entire additional layer of stress and of something to carry that this woman needs to do while she's performing her job, while being triggered about her childhood, while having whatever response she's having to the, the action as it's actually happening and do everything she's supposed to do for her job and her community at the same time. So, and a lot of women deal with, with that, even if it's not that they personally grew up in a war-torn country, but something, you know, they're, they're able to relate in a heart sense to something very personal happening outside of their current position, but still needing to function in that current position, a huge challenge, a huge challenge. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, those are some of the things that going from my feelings to how other women may be feeling. These are a lot of the experiences that we are carrying as we go about our day-to-day -day lives, as we go about our careers. You know, it spans the full gamut of so many emotions and so many responses and so many things to keep in mind. While it may appear that we're just doing a simple task, but for many of us is not as simple as it may appear. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, before I talk about the fitness component of your life, I'm curious about um, how you inspire the other women you actually work with. I had a question that um, may be a little avant-garde, but we're going to just try to go into it anyway. You know, a lot of men, um, when it comes to the workplace, um, there have been a number of allegations against men in, in the last couple of years, I think more than ever before in terms of uh, people canceling people, right? This whole cancel culture has kind of gotten somewhat out of hand in the sense that, you know, there are a lot of things happening and people are finding things people did years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, two months ago, what have you. Um, and a lot of people have been coming out and, and saying that they uh, have been in situations or environments that were not um, conducive to being even between men and women. Um, as your experience in the healthcare profession, uh, again, one that has been, for the most part, somewhat dominated by by men in its history, not so much anymore, um, but somewhat dominated by men in its history. Um, you you continue to to move forward in the ranks and and do so many great things in this profession. Um, do you ever feel like the healthcare profession in general is is still somewhat male dominated? Um, and I'm only asking you the question in the sense of a lot of the terminology that I still hear, and not so much where I work, but just in, in society, when it comes to the difference between men and women in the workplace, when we talk about um, emotional responses, um, there's still some people who say, well, she's too emotional or she's too sensitive. Um, and they say it in the sense that well, that may jeopardize her ability to work or her ability to do a certain task efficiently. Um, I'm someone who, again, was raised by my mom and I was very cognizant of those things, even though I didn't have any sisters or what have you. Respect was something that we were taught. So it wasn't like a, it had to be taught to me as I went in life. I was taught to respect women from an early age. Um, but I think a lot of us, um, a lot of people in the workplace, there are still these lines of demarcation where, you know, if a woman is pregnant, she's going to work, people think about her a certain way. Or if she comes in and is having a period a certain during, during, during a week, they have certain things to say about that. Um, even wages are still an issue, right? When, and even in terms of, of looking at certain job markets, like you said, pay is still not always equal. Even looking at the sports market, right? Where you have people literally fighting, the baseball teams fighting for equal equality between the, the genders when it comes to a simple game. It just spans the gambit when we look at the disparity between men and women. So I'm curious from your perspective as someone who has done really well in a certain profession that has somewhat been male dominated, at least in terms of the books, because we know that women have been doing things that are not documented for years on end. Um, you know, what are, what are your thoughts in terms of the equality factor in terms of, I guess, men's responses still to 
the various either preconceived annotations or um, the things that are not even true that, that they bring to the table in, in terms of how women um, are working and have continued to work uh, in the workplace? I think that the system absolutely is still strongly male-dominated. And even if it may so happen that in a particular room or in a particular setting, there is the same number of men and women, you know, addressing, at least in healthcare, that healthcare setting, the dominance of male privilege and I will say white male privilege, because in this particular example, the um, situation that I find playing itself out is that it is not simply our presence in the room at the time, but the books we are reading from most often were written by white men. The policies when they were developed about whatever it may be, work time, vacation time, how to handle sick time were developed by white men. Um, oftentimes the building was designed by men. The uh, schedule, you know, just the way this is going to go in the morning, there's gonna be this, and then there's gonna be this, and then there's gonna be this was also designed by men. So even if women happen to be in the room or in the environment or whatever it is, when a situation comes up that likely would have been dealt with in a bit of a different way had a woman been involved in the foundation of that creation. Because we are all educated by and following a male-dominated standard, that is one of the ways that that presence um, still permeates throughout healthcare and I think throughout a, a lot of industries. And it is often praised and seen as strength or somehow good, somehow rewarded, somehow power when that woman is able to rise up to the male standard um, in a way that can be unhealthy. Uh, one example of that <clears throat> is, you know, even among women, because as you mentioned, you know, taking time off for having children or whatever certain things may come up for women that won't for men. In the healthcare setting, over time, some things have gotten better. So fortunately, most places do have some sort of accommodation that women can take time when they have children. Some workplaces are even emerging into situations where fathers can also take time, although it is often less, um, but take some time, you know, when a new baby is coming. So there are those things. That's good. For the women who don't have children, or don't have families. Oh, you don't have kids. You can work every single Christmas. You don't have a holiday. You can cover all of this, or you can work for her while she's away. Like, well, just because I don't have kids doesn't mean that I should work every single holiday, you know? And just because it was a woman that happens to be away doesn't mean that I should be responsible for covering all of her time because I'm a woman. You didn't say that, but how is it that I'm filling in for her entire schedule as opposed to, you know, the group of us sharing this equally? Um, so I think that there are, you, you know, practical or thought process or even environmental ways that a lot of industries, including healthcare, do still have a strong male dominance. I mean, we could, we could imagine, you know, generally speaking, of course, there are men who are fantastically holistically speaking and fantastically centered in, in their emotions and, you know, all, all of these things. So this is not to say absolutes, but generally speaking, if a woman designed a hospital, you can imagine how that might look, you know, especially a woman who loved design and, and the environment and the colors and the textures and that sort of thing. It would just be different. Does that make the square, somewhat stale buildings bad in a way? I mean, not necessarily. They're very structurally sound, you know, and, and the hospital is not for a TV show competition about which one looks the best. Um, but all of that to say, you know, these there are many different subtle and not so subtle ways that I do think male influence continues to permeate the healthcare industry, at least, because the foundation was built on uh, the, the group of men that were given the privilege at the time 
to establish the hospital, to run the hospital, to be the providers in the hospital, to build the building, to decide how time off was going to work, um, to even my mom actually pointed this out to me the other day, even the idea that um, in pregnancy, for example, you know, when the when the baby is at this age and starting to hear play classical music and it'll make the, the baby's you know, brain better, perhaps th- this could very well be. And perhaps that baby just might like the drums. You know, the baby might be the xylophone type. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, in dance, we feel like everyone has a bit of a different taste in music. So I, I can guess that the person that discovered that and put that out there was a classical music loving person and found the benefits of classical music. And that's fantastic. It's just not the only way. You know, there may be a a flute-loving, drum-loving baby whose brain is going to develop equally as fantastically to the beat and the rhythm of something other than classical music. And that could be okay, too. You know, but we all, oh, classical music is a thing that makes your brain better. Well, yes, but maybe not only, and maybe not always. So (laughs) I think there's a lot of different ways that, um, that... that there is still strong male influence. And fortunately, uh, a lot of people that are now in position, both men and women, but you know, especially a lot of women that are now in positions to start to question and to say, oh, hey, well, how about we try it this way instead? Or perhaps groups of women to be able to say, you know, I know that the institution has been this way for a long time, but let's look at this. You know, there's a lot of innovators, there's a lot of people, but especially women now in position to stand up and say, Let's let's rethink this a bit. Yeah, no, I, that that's huge. It's it's funny the classical music thing. I, I I did it. I did the same thing. I was like, yeah, we gotta play. We gotta play. I mean, I listen to those things every now and then myself, but I did go a little ham on it when we had our daughter, and I fell right into that same category, that same trap. of, well, this is what we were told, so let's just do this thing because that's what they say is gonna be great. Um, but yeah, who's to say that, you know, she's not listening to some, 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 some beat from Nigeria or some, you know, whatever else that we can put out there, some djembe, whatever, that, that also could still be, uh, as influential. I mean, the heartbeat is something that the the baby hears for the first time. So why wouldn't it make sense that something like that would be maybe the thing that continues to stimulate? It's just funny how we get caught in these different traps, but yeah, I can agree with you. And, um, I'm curious if you think that we're doing enough in terms of the healthcare system to educate um, because there have been many, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, every every job now has a equity inclusion factor to it, right? Because the racial tensions were just so crazy in the last couple of years. Every job, for the most part now, has some kind of diversity, equity, inclusion thing. The schools have it um, just to make sure that we're at least crossing our T's and dotting our I's for those kind of things. When it comes to what you just mentioned, you know, the the gender roles, the gender, uh, um, the verbiage that is shared uh, when it comes to certain situations. Do you think there's enough of those trainings given to um, healthcare professionals, staff members, uh, even people that aren't aren't theory? You know, are there is there enough of that going around that 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 you think that it's helpful for um, current and former employees to know how to? Um, speak and interact with with each other, or you feel like there's just more work to do? I definitely think there's more work to do. I do. I mean, I want to give, you know, systems as a whole, many props for many of the things you mentioned, you know, diversity, inclusion, in addition to the people that are being placed in these positions, you know, the awareness is increasing. So I I think that's very good. Um, And at the same time, Uh, How do I want to say this and and be appropriate? You know, I think there are many opportunities to infuse change in the system much earlier on and way before we get to the point that someone has the mentality of like, oh, I didn't know that was an issue for Black people. Oh, I, I didn't know that people's salaries were that much different. You know, educating somebody on that when they're already an adult and already in the system and and in, in, in trying to create change at that point, yes, it is important and yes, it is needed. And at the same time, intervention so much earlier, I think, will, will make a big difference. You know, adjusting mentality, adjusting awareness, adjusting 
the way people interact with each other much, much, much earlier. Supporting teachers much, much, much earlier. You know, when, when the brains and the thought processes of kids are being formed, and if teachers aren't well-resourced, manage and nurture those children, you know, just starting so, 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 so much earlier, because a lot of the things that adults carry in terms of their perspective and, and, and how they coach at Orange Theory or how they may interact with doctors and nurses or even how they may present was conditioned when we were kids. And so, you know, sending me to an educational seminar now on inequality and that sort of thing. Okay, I get it. I get it. Maybe, though, if I had a different perspective when I was much younger, then I, we, a society could have done something about it sooner. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of our theory, you know, I, I, I think about my experience as a clinician, uh, physical therapy, you know, a lot of things that we do sometimes are very manual, right? Sometimes I, I have to get up and do uh, either a stretch for someone or um, some kind of manual technique. And it takes, it takes force. It's not a lot of force because, as you know, you use body mechanics and you do certain things to make sure that you can protect yourself. But there is, I guess, the same kind of underlying cultural um, theory that's not for everyone, but some do share. Uh, I've had people say to me, look, I, I want you to treat me. Why? I don't want a female therapist. Well, why not? Well, look at her. She's not as strong as you are. And I literally have to say, what are you talking about? She's actually, if not as strong as I am, maybe even stronger. And don't, don't sleep on what you see. Cause you know, everyone here, at least in my job and wherever I work, I always say is capable and ready to do everything that I've done and will ever do. It's not about how tall or strong or big or whatever. It's about what they can actually do. But there's this like underlying theme or thought, not everyone, but there's some people who believe that well, I have to have a man stretch me or I have to have a man work me out because you're stronger, you know what's going on more, blah, blah, blah. So I'm asking you, because now not just that on terms of the medical side as a trainer, right? And as a coach, I'm sure you've interacted with people who assume that you couldn't do A, B, and C, that you couldn't train them to an extent. What do you do? Or first of all, let me just say, if, is this true or not? I don't want to assume, but is it true or not? And, and, and it may be from the either male to female you perspective, or sometimes it could even be females who may be saying to you, look, I don't know if I, you know, maybe I want a man or a male coach to coach me just because they'd be better. Like, what do you do in those certain situations as a coach? Um, and even if you want to share as a, as a clinician, because I'm sure that you've experienced that to some extent also. Yes, I absolutely have. Uh, absolutely. To the extent that, it, it, at least when I was doing clinical care, walking into a room, the first assumption was either that I'm the custodian, I'm the person that has something to do with giving or taking away your food, or maybe I'm the nurse. And even after, and granted, there is plenty of honor and need in those particular positions. The system would not exist if there were not people to clean the area, you know, to, the food would not come if it was not brought to these people, you know, doctors cannot function alone in the need of nurses and folks, absolutely different. This absolutely is not to say that one is better than the other. It is to say that there's an assumption that I'm something other than I am. Absolutely. And even after introducing myself, no, actually, I'm the doctor. I'm going to get a sense of why you're here and do the exam and find out. And people would still, oh, okay, nurse. So you're going to bring my medicine at some point, even after saying it, you know, and on the inside, it's like, I just said what I said. Is this part, are you a little bit out of it right now because you're sick or you, you literally are not processing what I'm saying? And even sometimes after doing all the things, okay, here's what I think is happening. We're going to order these tests. You need this medication and I'll be back. Okay, so when are you going to send the doctor? Wow. I mean, this actually has happened numerous times. So yes, that happens. Um, in training, itself, I imagine a, a thought process happens. Oh, I would get a better class if it was a man. I would get stronger if it was a man. Um, Orange Theory is set up a bit different. It is group fitness. People sign up for the class and they come. So if they're having that experience or that thought process, 
I may not know, at least in this particular situation, because they come to the class. I lead the class. I deliver the best possible class that I can lead and coach, no matter what anyone is experiencing. If someone thinks I'm somehow going to be less than for whatever reason, because I'm a woman, because I'm Black, because this, that, or the other, I hope to prove them wrong by my actions, by the way I lead the class, by the way I'm going to pay attention to and correct and encourage and challenge everybody, no matter what. In those kinds of situations, I have to remember that that is something that they came with. I will deliver my best. If that helps to shape or change their mind, that's great. If they continue with that same process, that's something that they're going to have to deal with. Um, but yeah, that, that's how I deal with it in the context of Orange Theory. But they're, they're actually choosing to come to class. If they make a different choice, then in my opinion, too bad for them because I really like to deliver and serve and have fun. And they're going to be missing out on that because of a, a certain thought process. Um, you know, but I think it's one of those things where I need to stand my ground and know who I am and remain confident in that no matter what comes at me, no matter who doesn't believe me, no matter who saw what I just did and still has the same questions, you know, <laughs> to be able to reflect some of that back and say, that sounds like a you issue. I will keep doing me to the best of my ability. And we got to keep it moving. You know, I, I, maybe I want to fix it for everybody and I want to change everybody's mind. Um, and in many situations, that is, that is not possible. And when it is, their mind is going to be changed because I'm going to continue to be the best that I can be in delivering the service that I have to offer. And, and they will need to be mature enough to be able to adjust to that. Yeah, but it happens. There's just only so much that we can get in, consumed into responding to it because the time and effort and energy that it takes to respond to that is taking away from the, the actual service that I'm supposed to be delivering. So, yeah, it happens. And that's, that's been my method so far, to do it as best I can. Yeah, and no, I think it's a great way to handle it. And like you said, people see you and they see anyone else who's in that position when you you show your fruits, you know, hopefully you can break down those barriers of ignorance and those barriers of, of innocence even, and just continue to show people that, look, we're doing this thing. You know, it's not about how anyone looks. It's about what's, what's being given, what's being shown. And um, these are all things that I think a lot of men just don't really have <laughs> to even deal with or even like have an inkling of, of, of understanding. And that's why I want to bring you on the show, just to kind of highlight these things and to, Continue to show people that even though you have done so many things, there's still challenges. There's still challenges and there's still things we have to work on um, as people and as a healthcare profession. And, you know, just as the more that we can continue to put things out there educationally, I think the better. So I appreciate you sharing all those thoughts on this show. Any final tips you want to share with um, either clinicians or instructors, coaches who are in your position uh, who may be going through the same struggle? or with any women uh, who are just listening for Women's International Month? Mm -hmm. The message that I would like to leave listeners and especially women with is to be encouraged. We talked about many topics today. And among all of the things that you may have heard, you know, in today's series or any future series that women listen to, to, to be encouraged and to remember that oftentimes it may feel like you're the only one. I've, I've felt like that before too. It may actually be that you actually are the only one in the room at that point in time. You may be the only one in the bank at that point in time. Um, and know that even, even though you may be physically alone in that moment, that you're not alone in the greater context of things. I would want to encourage women to have that vulnerability to seek either knowledge or information or someone to connect with who may be able to relate, who may be able to lift you up, who may be able to bridge that gap between wherever you are and where you want to be. It is possible. Those of us that got here, whatever stumbling blocks we had to overcome, I would love to share all of those with you to make your process even easier. So be encouraged, seek out the information or anyone that inspires you and, and just go for it. Learn when to deflect and when things are not, not you, it's, it, it truly is them, um, so that you can really be the best that you can be. You can be more that day. You can be more everything. 
Dr. Y, thank you so much as always. Where can people connect with you again on social media or otherwise? Sure. On Facebook, I'm listed as my actual name, Hannah O.Y. And on Instagram, I am Yellow Rose. Shout out to Afua for giving me that name in undergrad. It's yellow without the W. Y-E-L-L-O-R-O-S-E-1-6. Awesome. Thank you so, so, so much. You made episode 91 for the books. And the only person we've had on the show for this season who's been back-to-back episodes. So by yourself. Well done, Adam. Well done. Thank you. No problem at all. And folks, don't forget the quote from RBG. Real change, enduring change happens one step at a time. You heard Dr. Y say so many things today. Holistic health is important, not just for uh, everyone, but especially for our women uh, to go out there and make sure that you're looking at the different parts of your life and make sure that everything is balanced and asking for the help, asking for the resources. They are definitely out there. Uh, and like she said, you are not alone. Uh, continue to, to stand strong, stand firm, do what you have to do. Uh, be encouraged that there are people who are in the struggle around you going through the same things. And be confident that we can uh, continue to educate each other, uh, men included, so that we can get this thing right finally once and for all. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 9 of Be More Today show. As always, follow us on BeMoreToday.com for my book. Our, our swag, if you want one of these sweatshirts or hats or what have you, t-shirts, we have everything else out there. And continue to subscribe to our shows on YouTube and on your favorite podcast platforms. We'll be back with you next week for another show. Uh, be more today's show. As I always say, have a good day. Have a good night. Have a great life. And continue to take your steps to greatness to be the best version of you. We'll see you next week. Peace. your why. Why do you want to be more today than you were yesterday? You already know that you have to trust the process and just be persistent. You already know that next level results require next level effort, period. But why is today different than any other day? What's your why? How are you going to get to the next level? See, most of you want to make it to the promised land of success, but aren't willing to make the sacrifices. Let me be clear. Nobody said it was going to be easy. No handouts. No excuses. It's just you versus you. It's go time. Find your wife for the 5 a.m. wake-up call. Find your wife for the extra mile you have to do after the workout. Find your wife to face that fear. Take that test. Make that move. Come on, y'all. Your whole life has been a warm-up for this moment right here. Today. Are you finally ready to play? You gotta decide to stay always on the move. Less talk, more action. Just be better. Just be more. Be more today. You know.